Saturday. Happy Saturday. We've made it to the weekend. Welcome into another edition of the Sports Geeky Podcast. My name is Alex Dreamer. We are up to episode number 19, if you can believe that. As always, you can find the show wherever OutSports Podcasts can be found. That's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We are there. Want to say hello to our new listeners from Fox News. Yes, heard me correctly. Fox News. Hannity loves to kiki. They wrote up our show last week with Akil Patterson with the headline, Former Top Wrestler Says His Sport Could Teach Law Enforcement About the Right Methods of Combat. On a sports podcast this week, a former athlete who once ranked as a number five Greco-Roman wrestler in the U.S. So this sport could help teach cops about better methods of combat while on duty. And they even embedded our sports kiki tweet into the article. So Fox News. You know, Tucker Carlson makes some decent points. Laura Ingram? Yeah. Drew Brees. I mean, come on. A guy can't speak his mind? There's nothing hypocritical about her telling LeBron, shut up and dribble, and defending Drew Brees' right to talk about how disrespectful it is to Neil. Nothing wrong with that. Fair and balanced. Fox News, we need it. A vital, a vital source of information in our world today. I'm serious. I'm a freelancer. I will sell myself out for any sort of paycheck. <laughs> and and Fox News, I hear they pay well. I hear they pay well. Why do you think Shep Smith hung on there for so long? So thank you to our great, the great Americans who tune in each week to watch Fox News. I'm gathering my uh, AR-15 as we speak, and I'm going to march on a statehouse somewhere to demand that nail salons open up. Uh, so, so I enjoyed that. From the last week. Uh, hopefully you enjoy the show this week. Uh, really great conversation with Ken Schultz, who is one of our fine contributors at OutSports. Uh, he hosts a podcast of his own titled Three Strikes You're Out, and he had a great interview this week with the president of the Negro Leagues uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, just a really good conversation with Ken. And the main topic they talked about this week with Ken, uh, who also, by the way, is a stand-up comic, so we talk a little bit about uh, COVID's impact on the stand-up industry, uh, which, well, is close to non-existent at this point. But the main point I talked about with Ken is how this week really showed, I think, the full sea change that we are undergoing in this country in terms of how social activism is perceived and how now it's something that athletes aren't shying away from. It's something athletes are embracing because it can be lucrative. Ken wrote an article this week about Natasha Cloud, the WNBA guard for the Mystics. Yes, she was a WNBA champion last season, but she's most known for her social activism, including an essay titled, Your Silence is a Knee on the Back of My Neck, uh, calling out silence among her white peers, saying their silence is complicity for police brutality and racial injustice and systemic racism, a powerful, poignant essay, as Ken mentions, the exact opposite of Michael Jordan's Republicans Buy Sneakers too. And she signed a very lucrative endorsement contract with Converse this week to serve as one of the faces of its relaunched basketball initiative, her, their relaunched basketball brand. So that's one example. You look at Colin Kaepernick. He remains blackballed from the NFL, but he has a big endorsement contract with Nike. The Kaepernick-Nike shoe sold really well last year. Nike stock shot up after they had signed Kaepernick to the endorsement deal. Uh, Megan Rapino 
one of the most popular athletes in the country. She's a wildly outspoken, openly gay, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of rat political radical, uh, if you will. And she is very popular. LeBron James has always weighed into social issues, but he did it even more so this week, announcing the start of his voting rights organization, More Than a Vote, which I think could be the most important athlete-led campaign ever. James not only is using his platform to get out the vote, but he says he's going to combat voter suppression and be vocal about drawing attention to any attempts to restrict the franchise of racial minorities. And that's a big deal because Donald Trump, as we know, up until the election, will be using his massive bully pulpit to spread lies about mail-in voting, absentee voting, election results. He's going to do all he can to sow doubt in our elections. He's going to do all he can to try and restrict the rights of people to vote. Well, LeBron has 136 million followers on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just over 137 million people voted in the presidential election in 2016. So one of the few people with the kind of platform to counteract Donald Trump's lies is LeBron James. And as we saw in Georgia this past week and have seen in states across the country over the last few months, we talked about it last week as well with Akil Patterson, who recently ran for a city council seat in Baltimore. They're still counting the election results there in the state of Maryland. I mean, these states are just so not prepared for mail-in voting and the demand of mail-in voting and polling places continue to be closed due to the coronavirus. And you saw what happened in Georgia, hours-long lines, and that is the biggest issue heading into our elections in November. Will people be able to vote? And it's scary as hell to say that, but it's true. And that's why LeBron... This campaign, I'm telling you, could be the most important athlete-led campaign in history. Get out the vote. Uh, Vanilla no more. And now has real bite behind it. And I also think Roger Goodell saying Black Lives Matter last week has some bite behind it. And I know there are people who say that as long as Colin Kaepernick is unemployed, Goodell's words are hollow. And I understand that. And the Kaepernick episode remains one of the most shameful incidents in NFL history. A good quarterback was blackballed from the league for peacefully protesting deaths and killings like George Floyd's. That's messed up. So I understand the people who don't want to hear from Roger Goodell. But it is significant for the NFL commissioner to go out and say on camera, Black Lives Matter. It is significant for the league to follow Goodell's words with a $250 million pledge to social justice organizations over the next 10 years. And we will see if the NFL continues to use its $15 billion megaphone to elevate the voices of its black players and white players too who want to join in the cause. Do you think Jerry Jones is a big Black Lives Matter guy? (laughs) Do you think that every NFL owner was thrilled when Goodell came out on camera and basically said the league policy now is Black Lives Matter protesting players are right, and we're sorry for our previous statements. I don't think every owner was thrilled. And now it is totally fair to ask every billionaire overlord in the NFL, where do you stand on Black Lives Matter? And not only that, but what are you doing to improve racial injustice in your community? 
Goodell has put the pressure on owners. That's significant. And that is a seismic sea change where, again, the NFL just two, three years ago was running away as fast as as it could from protesting players, kneeling players, and now Goodell is apologizing to them. Again, actions mean way more than words. We all know that. But it's significant. I mean, we've come a long way from Michael Jordan not wading into a Senate race to defeat Jesse Helms, an ardent racist, a virulent racist. (laughs) And we've come a long way from that, as evidenced by the fact that Michael Jordan himself has donated $100 million to Black Lives Matter and Black organizations. That was announced last week. So I think we're in the midst of a sea change. Uh, As I mentioned, Ken Schultz wrote about this for us at OutSports. We talk about that on the other side. It's the Sports Kiki episode 19. Thank you as always for listening. And welcome back to the Sports Kiki podcast. Uh, Very excited to talk with uh, Ken Schultz. He is one of our fine contributors at OutSports and another one of our fine podcasters, uh, the Three Strikes You're Out podcast. Great show this week with the president of the Negro Leagues uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, Download that show. Download this one as well. We keep track. Uh, Ken, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Alex. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty much taking over the network since two days in a row, right? Taking over. Taking over. I I had to dig deep in my Rolodex to to get you on the show today. So Yeah. uh, (laughs) Point well taken, sir. Yes. An an incredible voice, though, I might add for you. A great radio voice. I spent a lot of my life in radio being told how I have, like, the worst voice ever. You should get into it, Ken. I'm (laughs) telling you. I think you've missed your calling. Yeah, I've done, you know, I've I've taken this voice on stage for 20 years in stand-up, and... Even after shows, I have people coming up to me and saying, yeah, you know, you've got an incredible voice for radio, which I always interpret <laughs> as, you know, you've been listening for the past 30 minutes, but you'd prefer if you had your eyes closed the whole time. Okay, fair I, enough. I'd prefer, I'd prefer if I couldn't see you. How's the, yeah. <laughs> uh, how's the stand-up business these days? Must be booming. <laughs> uh, almost, I mean, it's non-existent except for Dave Chappelle just dropped another, another 30 minutes, which... Uh, I, I think is an indication of how much Dave Chappelle works that even when stand-up does not exist as a thing, he's still somehow coming up with a new 30. Uh, but yeah, it, it is existing almost solely in Zoom shows now. And uh, yeah, I've, I've not never really tried one of those because, eh, you know, but uh, I'm aware. But yeah, it yeah, the, the entire industry is on pause, which it, on, on the one hand is is an unfortunate thing, but on the other, I, I sometimes reassure myself going to sleep at night knowing that, you know, right now I am getting the exact same amount of work as Pat Oswalt is. And that's, that's, that's okay. true. <laughs> that, is, yeah. that is true. Yes, you are a longtime stand-up comic. Um, when do you think that'll open up? Because, uh, you know, it's because Hollywood, too, is on a definite pause. But when do you think that live shows come back in any aspect? Um, it's going to depend on the state honestly if you know, i've heard yeah. that uh, there are a few in texas right now that are opening mm. up which probably isn't surprising to anyone but no. um yeah I, i've seen like brian regan put out the plug for a show he's doing in san diego in a couple of weeks i think huh. so it yeah it's i guess depending on what a state decides is available to open up in whatever phase they're in but for places like you know illinois or certainly new york uh i i'd imagine it's going to be at least a half a year, if not even longer, just because 
for being as cautious as you can get with, you know, putting large numbers of people inside a cramped, tight space. And then in the best case scenario for stand-up, you're hoping that audiences are, forgive the phrase, but projectile laughing in your direction, which True. the goal of your job is might make yeah. you sick at this point. So, and, you know. Yeah, and kind of hard with face masks to really have a loud, yeah. uh, boisterous <laughs> laugh. It's kind of muffled. Maybe like Arkansas and Alabama become stand-up hotbeds if they're the only states that yeah. don't have restrictions. Uh, get ready, Kevin. Uh, honestly, might be moving the, down south. <laughs> oh God! I'll, I'll, yeah, change. Uh, get ready for my new my new persona. Ken the Cable Guy will be coming up for you. With um, a K, you could be Ken with the Cable Guy with a K. Yeah. I think that's I think that's yeah, pretty and, wacky. Uh, that that's one K short of what the South finds appropriate in comedy. So yeah, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Moving on. Um, we don't want to offend any of our great Southern listeners. Ken. Fair, I love Southern enough, liberals. Yeah. I've always said Southern liberals are the best. Every Southern liberal who I've met, way cooler than Northeast liberals like yours, Joey. They're like counterculture. They're very cool. I've always said that. Oh, God, um, yeah. yeah. How about this? And some, was also some of cool. the best, Go ahead. Uh, some of the best Southern liberal comics have come from, from that region. Uh, you know, the legendary comic that uh, actually – well before your time, but uh, does the name Bill Hicks mean anything to you? Of Bill Hicks? Of course he does. Good. Okay. Yeah, you're awesome. Then. That's I used yeah. to watch he Bill Hicks like YouTube. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I used to watch Bill Hicks YouTube uh, shows. Very dark guy. Yeah, and, oh, yeah. Very dark. Uh, someone who told a lot of uncomfortable truths in the era of the first Bush administration, but someone who was from Houston. So, you know, yeah. one of the people who I think of as the symbol in terms of, of making people uncomfortable came from the heart of the conservative Southwest in the eighties and nineties. Um, how about, uh, you wrote a piece this week that I do want to get to about uh, Natasha cloud, WNBA guard and her new endorsement deal for converse, which really came as a result, at least partially due to her social activism. She's been very outspoken. She wrote a great essay uh, a couple weeks ago at the start of the protests, uh, your knee is a, your silence is a knee on the back of my neck, calling out uh, white complicity among athletes. Um, and the point you made in the write-up for OutSports is that, you know, athletes used to shy away from social activism due to fears of financial repercussions. Michael Jordan, we just saw the last dance, his whole, that whole 90 Senate race and Jesse Helms, that was relitigated. He didn't want to jump into that. But the point you made in the post that I think is right is the tide has really turned where, again, someone like Natasha Cloud, a very outspoken player, gets a deal with Converse because of that. Uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick has had a lucrative career with Nike. And I just think that, especially over the last couple of weeks, where even like the NFL is about Black Lives Matter, at least from a verbal standpoint, really seems yeah. like the climate is changing. Yeah, it, it's kind of a fascinating, like, I, I'm hesitant to call it a new era, but it certainly feels like we've, we've moved on to kind of a different viewpoint of athletes as activists in terms of how much they're accepted, not just by their teams and leagues, but just by uh, the commercial endorsements that, that, that they get that I wrote about with the, excuse me, the Natasha Cloud piece. And I think part of the reason why I kind of narrowed in on that as my focus for it was when I saw on Google News the flash that uh, Natasha Cloud had an, uh, signed a deal with Converse and they were going to be announcing it and amplifying her activist voice, my first thought was, oh, that's the, that's the basketball player that wrote the Players' Tribune article. Like right. her, her actual on-court 
feats, which include being part of last year's WNBA champion, that wasn't the first thing I thought of when I saw her name. And so the fact that Converse was out there and associating themselves right away with someone who was known first and foremost as an athlete activist who had written that, as you say, the phrase, your silence is a knee on the back of my neck, which is as far away as you can get from Michael Jordan's famous Republicans buy sneakers too. And that to me is, is probably a signal, at least for this particular moment in time, that activism is not going to crush you in the public eye. And it's, it's not only going to, not going to crush you, it's going to elevate you to the point where a, a worldwide shoe brand wants to affiliate themselves with you and wants to affiliate themselves with the message that you're spreading. And that, I think, is different, far different than uh, any athlete endorsement deal up until probably, as you say, Kaepernick got the Nike deal from a couple of years ago. And, and, and look, that, to me, yeah. is fascinating. And look at Megan Rapino. She's another one who obviously yeah. is a great soccer player, but I'm going to be honest, if she wasn't as uh, outspoken as she is, she wouldn't be on my radar as much. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's another one. Yeah, and not just outspoken, but outspoken directly against the president uh, right now. Right. And when I say president, I, I'm using the wow. uh, Charlie Pierce trick of president the asterisk, asterisk yes. at the end yes. of everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's the official outsport style, by the way. The new style guide is coming. Your God, yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's much better than MLA, honestly. There's, there's an English major joke for you. Um, but yeah, um, in terms of Megan Rapinoe, uh, I, I think it was because she was not only so active, but so confrontational. Yeah. That that's why she uh, became such a public figure. And it's, it's why, and you look at that in terms of, it does, not only doesn't cost her in terms of what's, uh, what's available for her endorsement-wise and PR-wise, she's hosting the damn ESPYs in right. another month. Right. And so criticizing the president and taking that stand in terms of, uh, in terms of LGBTQ rights is the kind of thing that is not only no longer anathema to a famous company, a worldwide company like ESPN, but that's something that they want to associate with as well. And, uh, and again, that's, that's amazing given the fact that we're still only, you know, what, 15 years removed from the last time Michael Jordan was, was an active player. And, and, and that was, you know, a counterpoint. Uh, have you read uh, Howard Bryant's The Heritage? We, I know we, you mentioned that to uh, me in Slack the Slack the other day. Yeah. No, I have not read it. Because recommended? This, this per- yes, oh, recommended so much. It, it not only was the best sports book of 2018, it was the best book, period, that I read that year. Um, and uh-huh. what that book is about um, is about Howard Bryant, the great Boston sports writer, is tracing uh, what he calls the heritage, which is a tradition of prominent black athletes passing on the idea from generation to generation of it's not just a matter of you carrying the torch for black athletes right now. It's a matter of you also taking a prominent stand in terms of civil rights activism and putting your voice out there. And he talks about the passing from Jackie Robinson down to Henry Aaron, for example, in baseball or uh, um, uh, Carlos, the guy that uh, the runner who raised his fist on the Olympic medal stand is is a big part of the heritage. And, Howard Bryant's contention is that that was a very strong tradition from about the 1940s to the early 70s. And then in the era of O.J. Simpson and Michael Jordan, uh, the heritage in terms of civil rights activism disappeared. Uh, And what it was replaced by 
was black athletes trying to mainstream themselves as much as, much as possible in order to seek yeah. as many commercial endorsements as they could. And so what this current era to me uh, represents right now is kind of a fascinating, almost repudiation of, right. of that particular era uh, where, where endorsements replaced activism. And now right. activism actively gets you endorsements. And I find that utterly fascinating. Well, it's interesting. I mean, O.J. Simpson never even considered himself black, you know? Right. I mean, that, so, right. so, so that's a unique case. And you even look at, I know you're a big baseball guy. I mean, Derek Jeter, find me a more milk toast, mm -hmm. vanilla, you know, person publicly than Derek Jeter. Never spoke out about anyone, anything. And then he releases, I think, a very strong statement uh, after the George mm -hmm. Floyd killing as well. Tom Brady's another one who... You know, I, I, you don't know, but I mean, still, I mean, he's someone who, as of a couple years ago, would literally can walk off the podium if he was asked a question about Donald Trump or a social issue or a race issue. And he was releasing statements for George Floyd and signing the uh, letter to the Department of Justice to investigate Ahmad Arbery. So even someone hmm. like Tom Brady is now putting his neck out there a little bit. Yeah, uh, I'm just. Glad to hear that that neck is no longer covered by a MAGA hat at this point. Well, <laughs> if he is, if he is, it's in private. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But not with this um, argument. Yeah. But yeah. But not with this. I, 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 I totally agree with you that, that it, and it, and Michael Jordan, you know, who we've been using as the example of the exact opposite of the kind of athlete Natasha Cloud is and Megan Rapinoe is, Michael Jordan very publicly committed $100 million right. in, 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 from his foundation to all kinds of Black Lives Matter and other civil rights activist charities. Uh, so yeah, it, it's not just a matter, as you say, of athletes like Natasha Cloud and Rapino rewriting the paradigm, but it's also calling on the athletes for, from a previous generation who, as, as you note, would have run from these causes not so very long ago and now saying, hey, you've got to make your voice heard and you've got to use your your accumulated wealth to help out the people who desperately need it right now and that's a better thing for all of us how would the argument though and i hear this a lot especially when i was at wei full-time where people would say oh reamer you you cheer on megan rapino and all these heroes but what if <laughs> you know megan rapino was a gun nut and spoke out in favor of the second amendment would you be celebrating her for exercising her platform for activism if she was you know, uh, all about pro-life and defunding Planned Parenthood. And I, I don't know, what, what's your answer to that, Ken, if, if when someone poses that question to you, that you celebrate athletes who speak out only if they agree with you? I guess kind of the reverse Ben Shapiro, Laura Ingram thing. <laughs> uh, the reverse Ben Shapiro is my least favorite position in the comments. That, that's but... very, it's it's not attractive at all. No, it's it's terrible. No, no. Yeah, you skip well past that page immediately. Uh, <laughs> I, I would yeah, I would I would say that uh, yeah, the the instinct is of course obviously it, it's very easy to celebrate people who agree with us, but I would venture to say that especially as as a baseball fan, given how many ball players that I know or suspect definitely lean farther right uh, than than me, um, it's not like those guys are being repressed, you know. It it and your your fictitious wei caller. I'm sure yeah. would try to counter with something like, well, what about Kurt Schilling? Right. And what about Schilling? Schilling? He was fired yeah. for his beliefs. <laughs> I, I, I love the voice. Uh, it, and uh, the Chicago accent on sports radio is, is a different one, but it's, it's, it's similar in terms of this, this is, this is that guy in Chicago. 
But uh, it's chilling. It's a little friendlier. Uh, yeah, I guess it's that, that little bit of Midwestern part to it that, that exactly. maybe softens it a bit. Uh, chilling, uh, up until Chilling was able to express who he was, and he, he existed on Twitter as Kurt Chilling for years. And it wasn't until that he spread the transphobic memes, or the transphobic memes, I'm sorry, the specific kinds that were like actual hate speech right. that ESPN finally said, okay, we got to cut ties with you. Like it was, it was okay for Schilling to show up in public in a MAGA hat or in a Trump shirt uh, and to express his very pro-life views. ESPN had him as the, the face of Sunday Night Baseball for, I think it, it was at least a couple years where he was paired with uh, Mendoza in the booth. And it, it wasn't until that crossed the line into, into hate speech that, that they cut him off. So I would say to that point that, uh, that most ballplayers – I, I would say are still certainly empowered to speak their points, whatever they are. Uh, and just to uh, that, we're empowered as fans to criticize them if we disagree with them. But it's not disagreement that that's gotten Kurt Schilling fired. It's hate. And uh, and I would say, you know, in terms of Rapino and in terms of Natasha Cloud and in terms of activists that we tend to align with, the Sean Doolittles of the world, hmm. none of their speech has crossed over into hate uh, to this point. So I would say that, yeah, we celebrate them because we agree with them, but we're certainly allowing people who have views on the right wing side of things to speak. We're not going to, we're not going to elevate those because we don't agree, but we're certainly allowing them to put those out there. I mean, hates Megan Rapino though hates speech against the Trumps, Ken. Well, that's I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, you know, going back to stand-up comedy, that's always punch up. You know, we're having you know someone who is you know mo- the most famous soccer player in the world, but she's going against the literal most powerful man on the no, planet, no, it's, as opposed it's, to it's... Kurt Schilling. You know, that's punching down to the trans trans community. So. No, it's you know, it's that's, it, that's, no, it's, that's, it's a stupid equivalency, and I've always right. said. I mean, Kurt Schilling, to use your point, went from vote Bush to the penis was designed for the men's room, and uh, <laughs> Nazis are like Muslims, and Hillary Clinton yeah. should be thrown under a jail, and QAnon. So it's like <laughs> um, that's quite a quite a shift um, there yeah. on the and, trajectory. And on top of all that, and Kurt Schilling and. This is when we know the kind of person he is and the kind of beliefs he has. Kurt Schilling is going to be going into the Hall of Fame next year. He's 5% short at this point. So that hasn't stopped that, the momentum of that particular candidate to attain baseball immortality. So I think that that's, you know, one of the most prominent examples of, yeah, we, we disagree with, with your speech and, and your hate is, is vile, but he's still going to get the biggest honor in you can get as a baseball player in 2021. So, you know, how that's, about, that's an uh, interesting kind of impression. How about the NFL? Um, Roger Goodell said it black lives matter live from his basement. We had it on camera. <laughs> uh, they donate 150 million this week. It was announced to social justice causes, I think over 10 years or maybe it's more. I'll, I'll, I'll have to double check that. But, mm-hmm. um, regardless, the NFL in the past has donated as well. Um, what do you what do you think about this sw- this switch with the NFL? Is it significant, or do we have to so- fully wait and see? Or are you of the mindset that as long as Colin Kaepernick is unemployed, it doesn't give it doesn't matter at all what a uh, Goodell says? Yeah, I I think 
the, uh, that last one right there is, is kind of exactly where I'm at. The, the NFL is recognizing the moment right now, and that's certainly good. And they're certainly, at least for this particular moment, trying to be, you know, a very powerful voice to help. But they have, among every single major sports league at this point, they have the most specific person that they need to make things right with. And Roger Goodell still won't speak his name. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's the league that, you know, when Colin Kaepernick kind of decided to be the – or didn't de- well, didn't decide that he was going to be the, the voice for this, but put himself out there in right. terms of he was the one that took the stance when it was the least popular in terms of how the general public viewed it and then certainly in terms of going up against the presidential Twitter. And the NFL ran from him to the point where, uh, you know, every single team in the NFL is complicit in blackballing Kaepernick. And until you reach out and make things right with, with that specific player, with Colin Kaepernick, to me that there's always going to be a certain hollowness to Roger Goodell's sudden, <clears throat> sudden uh, discovery of his own conscience. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's the one of the most shameful episodes in league history. There's no doubt about yeah. that. But my, my only counter to you would be, though, Ken, like, do you think that, for example, Jerry Jones was thrilled when Roger Goodell uh, said, I'm going to be saying Black Lives Matter and apologize to players and encourage them to protest? I don't think so. Like, I, I th- like, I mean, yes, I think it was almost solely done for PR. And but you know what? Like. That's quite a switch where as recently as two, three years ago, the NFL was running away as fast as it's as it could from Black Lives Matter, protesting players. I mean, we've seen in our community how much corporate influence has done a lot to advance gay rights. I mean, a lot of these states pass these draconian anti-LGBT laws, the NFL, even Georgia, you know, if you pass this law, no more Super Bowls in Atlanta, that caused the governor to veto that bill. So you know, I, I think that obviously action has to follow the words. And this week we did have the $250 million grant over 10 years. But, um, you know, I, I do think that it is significant for Goodell to be on camera saying Black Lives Matter. Because now I think every NFL owner should be asked, where do you stand? And because that's now the official league policy. I, I think there is, I think that is a significant development regardless of how shameful the Kaepernick episode is and continues to be. Yeah, that, that, that is a good point. And it, it is a definite sea change and yeah. that can't help but be a good thing. And really it also can't help but be a good thing. If Jerry Jones's 11th facelift is the sad one <laughs> in terms of how he responds to Roger Goodell. Uh, and to kind of, to bring this into an article that you wrote this week, I think in oh, terms please, of yes. uh, the, the really excellent one you published about the, the Red Sox and yes. the evolution of how they've taken the lead in terms of being one of the most prominent organizations in Boston uh, to lead uh, pride celebrations and to make their pride night as prominent, not just in baseball, but in the greater Boston community yeah. as possible. And, and given their decades of shameful uh, team policy in terms of civil rights as, as the last team in baseball to integrate and, uh, Tom Yawkey and Gene Yawkey's kind of infamous propagation of almost really white supremacy for a good part of, of Boston Red Sox history. Uh, the, the fact that they were able to transition from that to being a really progressive organization in MLB under the new ownership of John Henry and to be an organization that wants to be out in front of 
the right the movement for LGBT rights and LGBTQ celebrations in baseball that is again that's a great sea change and can help but be a great thing even even with the most shameful pasts in terms of civil rights relations in baseball yeah. and uh, yeah it, so if, if this is a point forward with the NFL where there is no turning back for the NFL, then I think we can look at this and we can look at the Roger Goodell video as a definite positive. Uh, I just hope that they don't decide to when, whenever they feel that this has kind of died down in terms of being the lead story in the news cycle, that they don't, that that doesn't cause, you know, corporations like the NFL to play it safe at that point. They've got to keep pushing this forward and they've got to keep being the ones at the front of the line and using their their platform and their money to help keep spreading keep spreading Black Lives Matter and civil rights causes and and also LGBTQ rights would also be nice too. It would be yes, and we'll see. I mean, Trump, you know, is he's a desperate man, and uh, one of the, one yeah. of his greatest hits is attacking kneeling NFL players. And I'm sure we'll see a return of that this fall. Um, you mentioned the yeah. Red Sox, and they are, have done a great job with LGBT rights, and this week. They meant they issued, I think, a very strong statement uh, backing up Tory Hunter, who said that he put a yeah. no trade clause in his contract as a player because of the racial taunts he endured in Boston. He put in a no trade to Boston, and the Red Sox validated him, which I think was very important, issuing a statement saying Tory is right. We had seven incidents at Fenway last year, and we know there are many more we don't know about, and I applaud them for that. But in the in the, in the topic of actions speak louder than words. For all the credit that I give the Red Sox, you look at their front office masthead, Ken, lots mm -hmm. of white faces. I mean, all white mm -hmm. faces, to be exact. Zero black employees in, like, their top 16 front office wow. positions. I may or may not be looking to pitch an article somewhere about that. So that may be how I know that info. But, uh, you know, <laughs> you look at baseball. They're another one. Black Lives Matter. Manfred says it at the draft. But what are they, like, 7% of black players in the league? So, I don't know. Baseball especially is behind in a lot of these social justice initiatives. What, what is your take on where they factor into all this? And I know you spoke to the uh, President Negro League uh, Hall of Fame as well on your show this week. So, Yes, and I would point to, and I link to it in the description of my show. There, there's a really excellent conversation that Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Museum, led with six current Black MLB players, Lorenzo Cain, Josh Bell, and then a couple of uh, second-generation guys, Dwight Smith Jr. and Delano DeShields. Mm -hmm. And it's a YouTube video that lasts for about an hour, uh, and it's a roundtable discussion. And they are as open and honest about the state of race relations in baseball and being a black player in a league where there are only 7% Af African-American representation in the, entire, in the entire league at this point. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot of hard truths that you need to kind of listen in here. So I, I recommend everybody kind of uh, go and check that particular video out. Um, but to your point about the Red Sox front office, and this is actually something that Theo Epstein talked a lot about this week, uh, yeah. who is obviously has Boston connections and now is, is, you know, the president of the Cubs, my favorite team. Um, Theo mentioned that it's one thing that obviously that he, uh, participated in one of the Black Lives Matter protests over the, the past weekend. And it was something that energized him. And he's someone who's obviously is, is very concerned with, with civil rights and civil rights causes. But he said, one of the important things that I got from this is the realization that, 
you know, I have these beliefs, but it's also made me look inwardly and made me look at all the people I hire and realize that almost all of them look exactly like me. And true to form, the, the Cubs front office is very similar to the Red Sox one. The only prominent African-American that I can think of is Jerron Madison, the director of scouting. And other than that, it's a bunch of guys that look like Theo. And so what MLB has really got to do, and especially as a league where African-American participation is as low as it is at this point, um, it's really a, a major matter in terms of looking at yourself, being honest with who you are, especially the higher-ups, the GMs, the team presidents, and team owners, and really asking yourself the hard question of what can I do to make this league better reflect this country and better reflect the makeup of the world uh, right now. And to that extent, there was, I think, an encouraging sign, at least from the, the standpoint of a Cub fan, where the the MLB draft was this week. And uh, the Cubs, the, the player the Cubs selected in the first round was a guy named Ed Howard, who was one of the Jackie Robinson West Little Leaguers who represented Chicago at the Little League World Series back in 2014. And he's a native of the South Side. And it, uh, it's someone, it, to me, that was just a moment where Theo was kind of telling us, uh, this is not just words that sound good coming from my mouth. I, I, I think that this is Theo telling the Cub fans and telling the rest of baseball that I'm going to be trying to, to make a change through my actions uh, because this is a move that the Cubs rarely make. The Cubs do not traditionally, kind of like the Red Sox, have not made a, a real effort to reach out to Chicago's African-American community and it's partly because the city of Chicago is such a segregated city as it is. Yeah, uh, like Boston. A lot of the black. Yeah. Oh, very much so. The black population in Chicago is heavily concentrated on the South side. And that's traditionally White Sox territory. And the Cubs uh, have just, I guess, essentially kind of written that off as that a lot of Chicago's black population are going to be Sox fans just because that's where they live. And so this to me was Theo and I might be, you know, putting a lot of my interpretation on this, but this was Theo reaching out to that community and that community in the South side and saying, we want you to be represented in our organization too. And I certainly hope that that's the beginning of what's going to become a movement for real genuine change in terms of how the Cubs are perceived, but also how the Cubs really choose to, to put their organization out there and what they want their organization to look like. Uh, and it's going to have to be not just one draft of that, but it's going to have to be like a change from this point forward. Like what we want, what we just discussed, what we want the NFL to be. I think baseball, uh, it should also use this as, as kind of an inflection point and a, a moment where they decide this is going to be different going forward. And it has to be different permanently. It can't just be in this moment, yeah. especially for a sport that let it slip out to the point where there are only 7% Crazy. of its player base is made up of African-Americans. And the Red Sox drafted a guy named Blaze Jordan in the first round, so maybe that's a nod to the, to the pot smokers, uh, which is <laughs> important outreach as well. Yeah. At least I appreciate oh, yeah. that. Um, the yeah, other thing about Theo, too, you mentioned that he not only are there not only do they hire you know people who look like him, but there's a whole generation of Ivy League-educated GMs who don't only look like Theo Ken, but 
literally talk like Theo. Ben Charrington, yeah. the Red Sox guy now, Heimbloom. I'm serious. Close your eyes. Listen to them talk. They all talk the same. Jed Hoyer, they all do it. It's it's mm-hmm. not just they look alike. They talk literally the same. Yeah. I'm telling you. It's, it's the oldest thing in baseball. It's, uh, as soon as one organization finds something that works that's new, then every organization realizes, oh, yeah, that's where we got to go. Uh, which in, you know, in present day means that every GM talks, you know, like an educated guy like Theo, like a wonk. Uh, but it's yes. also, you know, looking at it from a historical standpoint, that's also what led integration to, to become a phenomenon in the 40s and, and 50s for all the good teams in baseball, because that, that, that's why integration worked, because. Branch Rickey and the Dodgers were so successful by picking Jackie Robinson and Roy Campanella and Don Newcomb that teams that really had their shit together at that point, the New York Giants, the Milwaukee Braves of the world, the Cleveland Indians and the American League looked at that and said, we can't fall behind that. And, uh, and that's why you had, you know, Willie Mays and Henry Aaron and Larry Doby and Satchel Paige join up with MLB uh, so quickly after Robinson, because that was, that was, the new paradigm in the forties and fifties, just the same way that Ivy league GM wonks are the paradigm for our present day, present day MLB. Uh, Let me get you out here on this, Ken, speaking of baseball. So the owners Friday reportedly sending a proposal for 70 to 75 game season that would pay players between 80 to 85% of their prorated salaries. Um, Here's my question. If the owners are insistent that the regular season can't last past September 27th, um, (laughs) aren't they just kind of running out the clock at this point and they're just going to just keep stringing the players along until they only have to hand out the amount of salary they've always wanted to hand out from the Mm get-go? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You you nailed it right there. Okay, good. Yeah, they're they're not exactly hiding what their game is at this point, that uh, it's these, these quote-unquote negotiations going on between the owners and the union right now, first of all, shouldn't be taking place because the agreement took place in March. You had an agreement in terms of how you were going to approach the return of baseball from the pandemic. So this is a negotiation off of something that was already agreed to, which already is, it should be infuriating to anyone who has any sense of, of workers' rights in this country. And Fangraphs has actually kind of done a deeper analysis of it. Every single proposal the owners have made to this point has been for essentially the same amount of money being played out, paid out to the players, whether it's full prorated salaries for the 50 games or whether it's the sliding scale for the 80-some-odd games they proposed in the first place. But in order to have an agreement in a labor negotiation, you have to have both sides negotiate. And that is not what's happening right here. This is, as you said, the owners just kind of throwing different proposals that are saying the same thing out there. The players union is countering with actual negotiations, but the owners just kind of waiting it out until they get to a point where it's like, okay, well, the only thing conceivable at this point is 50 games. So that's what we're going to play. And, and that's all you should be prepared to see. Uh, And yeah, this is, this is the ownership of major league baseball using using the pandemic as an excuse to either cut costs significantly for the season, or if they can, you know, get the players to concede enough uh, where they can kind of turn the union against one another. That's a little nice little side benefit, side bonus to what they've got going on right now. And as a fan who would like to see baseball at some point, it's infuriating. 
Ken Schultz, you can read him out sports, the three strikes you're out podcast, maybe on a Zoom comedy show near you one day. Ken, <laughs> thanks for coming on the show. It was a pleasure, Alex. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you, as always, for listening The Sports Kiki. I say it each week. I mean it. If you have any topic ideas against my better judgment, my Twitter DMs are open, at AlexDreamer1. That, again, is at AlexDreamer1. Let me know. I was flooded with a guest request, Ken, for you to come on the show this week. That's why you were on. Uh, let us know. Any guest ideas, topic ideas, always open. <laughs>